You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Thank you for listening to the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. It's Friday the 28th of July. Charlotte Greenway in for Nick and I'll very shortly be joined for today's show by Friday regular Lydia Hislop. We'll be taking a look at tomorrow's King George before discussing some of the nice two-year-old performances from Sandown and Leopardstown yesterday. And we'll be hearing from trainer Ollie Sankster after he bagged his first listed winner in his first season training. Lydia and I will also look at the latest issues around the gambling white paper. And finally, Sam Cunningham brings us the final piece from the National Stud, this time from their education department. First, though, before Lydia and I discuss the King George, I thought I'd best get an update on the ground from Ascot's clerk of the course, Chris Stickles, after he'd walked the track this morning. Well, we've now been dry actually since um, Thursday morning. Uh, we are we remain soft, good to soft in places. Um, we obviously had a lot of rain um, Wednesday night into Thursday, seventeen millimeters. But we have, I mean, other than the odd sort of spot since then, we've we've been dry. Um, and and I'd say the track is drying slowly as we speak. There's a chance that the straight course will go good to soft by the time we start racing this afternoon so uh, yeah, it's a mixture of soft and good to soft. But 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 at the moment, all the time it's staying dry, it's in, it's improving slowly. And how's the forecast looking over the next sort of 24 hours or so? Well, it's a tricky one, really, because because there are showers forecast. We may get an odd shower, passing shower today. Tomorrow is a bit more confusing than today, actually, because tomorrow there are, there are two, two slightly different forecasts. One, one talks about very little rain, you know, maybe one millimetre or less. It, there's, there's a risk of that in a passing shower. And another, another, another model tends to show a bit more rain Maybe maybe late morning, you know, up to three to five millimeters are possible. So um, it's tricky to know what we're going to get because of the because of the two varying models. But um, not a huge amount of rain anyway. But but there is a chance of an odd shower. What would be the quick, quickest ground then? Do you think you could start on if all goes well and the rain stays away? Well, if the rain stayed away, the quickest quickest ground would be a mixture of good to soft and possibly good on the straight course. Um, you know that that would that would that that would you know that that could result if it stays dry between now and and Saturday afternoon and you know we get we get some you know a bit of a breeze which is forecast and some sunny spells. Um, likelihood is actually it's probably going to be a, a more 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 good to soft really um, than that. But that would be the drive I would see it getting to. And there's racing, of course, today. So after that and ahead of tomorrow, will the plan be to move that rail, especially on the round course, just to free up a bit of fresh ground? Absolutely, we're planning that now. Um, we uh, at the moment the, the track is at its widest uh, configuration on, on the round course. The intention is after racing to um, today to, to to move the rail so that there's fresh ground um, available tomorrow. So we'd cover the, the the worn ground that was used today on the round course. Uh, are yet to be decided exactly from where to where, but it, it will certainly go around to turning into the home straight, uh, and it may well start at the mile and a half start. But we'll consider that during the afternoon today and uh, and and see what happens. But yes, the, the plan is to provide some certainly some fresh ground, um, you know, down the hill and round Swindley Bottom back up the hill uh, tomorrow. And just finally, everyone at Ascot must be absolutely delighted with the uh, the field that looks set to line up in the King George tomorrow. 
Oh, yes, we are. Uh, it looks a fantastic renewal, doesn't it? I mean, uh, yeah, really exciting. Uh, really exciting to have all these, um, uh, you, you know, all, all these all these horses wanted to run in run in the race. And I mean, such quality. Yeah, uh, it's 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 really pleasing for us. I mean, the, the race, you know, goes, you know, sometimes it's fashionable, sometimes it's not. And sometimes the horses are wanting to run over the mile and a half trip at this time of year. And uh, it just so happens that we've got the you know the, the first two in the derby is, and the older horses all, all 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 there for us so it's 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 great yeah it's fantastic it's incredibly exciting and we're really looking forward to uh watching the next couple of days thanks so much for the update chris no problem charlotte Lydia, we've just listened to chris stickles clark of the course's comments on the ground it doesn't look like it's going to be too bad yeah that's that's good news um but it was interesting because I was working at Sandown uh, yesterday and speaking to Ray Beckett, who, of course, runs Westover. And he was saying that, you know, Westover wouldn't really want deep ground. But at the same time, he was saying, well, where else am I going to run Westover? You know, if I've I've got a a cult of this quality uh, who wants a mile and a half, the King George is the race that you you run him in. And, you know, why wouldn't you give that a go? And I, I, I tend, to, tend to agree with that. And I think that's the reason why we have ended up with, you know, such a good race. Lots of lots of people have with, with very good horses have decided, thankfully, <laughs> to send them to race against each other. Um, and it's a proper field for a proper King George. It is indeed. Uh, how do you see the race playing out? Because to my eye, there looks like there's plenty of horses in there that are going to appreciate a decent gallop. Yes. And well, I, I, I wonder whether you're looking towards uh, Aidan O'Brien's uh, team to be able to, to do that. Um, August Rodin um, will, will, will appreciate that. He, stay, he stays well. Um, Luxembourg, Point, Point Lonsdale and Bolshoi Ballet are all in there alongside as well. The question with, is always what sort of pace will be set. But as you say, there are a number of these that would want a, a pretty good test. And so you would, you, you would be hoping that the pace would be, would be true. I, I don't really see necessarily, I mean, do you, do you, who, would, who would be favoured by a, a turn of foot setup? I mean, probably Emily Upjohn. Yeah, yeah, she probably would, although she can be a little bit keen, so she's got to relax, hasn't mm. she, in a race? Um, and that, you know, Westover, he's the same, he's got to relax. There's a few of those that can just uh, be a bit on it early on, so yeah, it's interesting. Well, we saw that last year, didn't we, in, in the race? I mean, so, so, I mean that, that, that race kind of fe- fell apart it to, to some degree. Um, uh, and I'm not taking any, any, anything away from the, from the winner, from Pile Driver, but it nonetheless... Um, it, it, you're right to point out that uh, they can both be a little, a little bit keen and on it, and it is a, a concern, I suppose, from a, a Westover perspective that his one below par run comes in this race last year. Yeah, and interestingly, just as we're on Westover, I've just had a flick through the TRC rankings um, for the King George tomorrow, and he heads them at 11th. Um, in 13th is Emily Upjohn, 21st, the Derby winner August Rodan, 33 is Luxembourg, 36 Hookham, 47 last year's winner Pile Driver, and down in 82nd is, well, sort of joint favourite, King of Steel. Is it possible that Westover's a forgotten horse? I would be very much arguing that if it wasn't for the ground. I mean, I'm, I'm glad he's running, but I do think he he particularly likes a fast surface. I'm in, and I think he'd need everything right for him in this particular circumstances because it's such a, a deep group one. Um, and I, I was struck by the rankings actually, and and how different 
the betting has it as compared to the rankings. So, you know, Auguste Rodin, the favourite. Um, next in then you've got King of Steel, who's the, the of the of what we perceive to be the principles, is the least highly ranked by some measure um, from uh, amongst those. And then um, Hookham in 36 and Emily Upjohn in 13, around about the 9 to 2 mark. So it's very interesting how differently um, that, that kind of... Um, uh, number crunching, you know, well, as you say, it, it's the kind of ranking system that rightly um, requires horses to back up their form repeatedly, and for that form to be franked, and it's done so in a in a in a very analytical way, as you would expect. The computer says, um, and so it, it, I find it. I always find it very interesting when the sort of the the, the human response to what recent form is is quite so very different to what the the ranking system is saying i know that we're meet, we're, we've got a, a clash of generations so that makes it slightly different because obviously the older horses have had a chance to build up their reputation whereas the three-year-olds are forging theirs but then again of course paddington ranks number four and he's a three-year-old he is and he's a three-year-old that's just thrived on his racing so they've been able to get plenty of runs into him um, which the rankings obviously like. And we look forward to seeing him at Glorious Goodwood next week in the Sussex Stakes. Uh, you're a fan of the rankings, Lydia. So are you going with them or against them tomorrow? I'm going with Emily Upjohn. Um, I thought it was a, a huge performance to run so well against Paddington last time. I don't think she'll be inconvenienced by the ground. I think she showed that when she went over the course and distance in the Philly and Mare Stakes on British Champions Day. Um, I'm going to throw out what happened this time last year. Uh, she pulled so hard. I, I take your point that she that is her her potential vulnerability, but she she looks more. Um, straightforward. She looks as though she's grown up all over again. And I'm just struck by that turn of foot that she showed when she dispensed with Westover in the Coronation Cup. To me, um, she is the likeliest winner of the race. That isn't to say that I dismiss in any way either Hookham or Pile Driver. I think Hookham is a very good horse who has been underestimated in, in his career. I thought his start at Sandown um, this season when he dispensed with Desert Crown was really silky. Um, pile driver again we know that he acts really well at, at the track he he is he is the title holder he since back back to coming back after a very long break by winning the hardwick which wouldn't be up to the kind of standard of race that um say emily upjohn has, has been racing in and then you've got the rematch between august rodan and king of steel from the derby and august rodan has since gone on to follow up in the in the irish derby in a race that can be picked apart uh, and king of steel has gone on to win himself in the King Edward the uh, Seventh at Royal Ascot, again stamping his authority on that. A big horse, proving that he handles Ascot very well. The argument would be for him to turn around the form with August Rodin is that because he had the, that stall issue in the Dante, wasn't able to get a prep run in. You know, didn't have the same kind of battle-hardened um, experience that August Rodin had at that stage of his career, having been a top-flight two-year-old as well whereas King of Steel came through a little bit more steadily, that that different type of experience and the more sort of match practice at that kind of level could give King of Steel the turnaround. I mean, it's a fascinating race, and I'm, I'm so pleased it is, because I think it's so important to the British pattern that the King George uh, functions as it should, which is the, the mile-and-a-half clash of generations, and it, it's so important, I think. 
Tomorrow's King George is, of course, a whirlpool day, and Jamie Hart of the Tote joins me now. Uh, Jamie, just first off, for any of our listeners who aren't quite sure what the whirlpool is or how it works, uh, give us a quick overview, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course, Charlotte. The um, the whirlpool is where all of the big totes around the world. There are twenty eight countries betting into the whirlpool. They all put. Normally, people run their own pools on international racing, but for these really big races everybody puts their money into the same pool. So the most significant countries involved are Hong Kong, uh, France with the PMU, Australia and America, USA, the pools coming in. So if you're looking at having a bet into the world pool, you just do it through the tote. Um, You can bet into the tote through most bookmakers in the country, but also, of course, through directly through the tote and on the race course. But it means that you're betting against those people from those countries. It means that you end up with a a set of prices that are very can be very different from the UK market because, of course, in a tote, it's just people's opinion that counts. And opinions differ around the world compared to the UK opinion on these races. Uh, they do. And I've heard you explain to Nick uh, previously on the podcast for Head of Whirlpool Day sort of where the value might be in these races. Uh, just look at the King George tomorrow. Where do you think the value might lie? Well, one of the most popular uh, jockeys, as you'd expect, on an international pool is Ryan Moore. So I, I don't think we'll see much value in August Rodan tomorrow. I mean, of course, with the tote, we always have the SP guarantee in place so that you will get, you won't get paid less than SP. But I'm, I'm imagining that August Rodan will be the one that's under on the world pool. But of course, whenever you have something that's significantly under the market price, it means all of the others get pushed out. So the ones that I think I'd want to be with would, on the world pool would be uh, Hookham and uh, King of Steel, I believe, will be a bigger price. Some of the ones that are very big prices, kind of Point Lonsdale, Bolshoi Ballet, Hamish, quite often, strangely enough, on the world pool, they, they're, they're often not as big as they are um, in the UK market because people don't know so much. The views are less polarised, so you'll get the, the really big outsiders, people will still back them, the people that are just betting on names. Um, and you'll, so I think the, the real value there tends to be in the second and third favourites. And that's where you really need to look at if you're betting. Also, of course, the biggest uh, pools that are out there in um, the whirlpool aren't the, isn't the win market. It's the kind of exotic. So you want to play around the Quinella, which is first and second in any order. Or what's very big in Hong Kong is the Swinger. And that's just picking the first or two horses to come in the first three. So if you've never played the Swinger before... If you, there, there'll be million pound pools in all the races for the swinger. And that's just kind of betting two horses to come in the first three. It's a bit like an each way bet on a forecast. But that's one that is very popular and very big out there. And you mentioned Hong Kong, um, and I know they get very involved in the whirlpool days. So say a horse like Piledriver, who finished second in the Hong yeah. Kong bars last season, is he likely to be a sort of shorter price on the tote, do you think? I don't. I don't think he will be. I, th- I think he'll be. A, I think he'll be a decent price on the tape. With the, with Hong Kong, they've seen him lose, and they don't. So if if he'd won in Hong Kong, I think I'd I'd agree with you that he could be short. But they've they've seen him, and he lost when he came out to Hong Kong. Lost to the Japanese horse in that race. But um, I think Pile Driver will be one of the value pieces. I think they've seen Augusto Dan win recently uh, twice in whirlpool races. Uh, so that I, th- I, th- I think he'll be so sure he makes the market for all of the other ones at the top of the market.
So yesterday afternoon at Sandown, Shawari won the listed EVF star stakes for two-year-olds, providing trainer Ollie Sangster with his first winner at listed level. Ollie joins me on the line now. And Ollie, first off, this is only your first season with a licence. That must have given you quite the thrill. Hi, Charlotte. Yeah, it did. Uh, she's always looked like a nice affiliate at home, but... Uh, obviously, black type's difficult enough to get, so um, it was it was a real thrill, and it, it's beyond our wildest expectations anyway, that's for sure. And she was very professional through the race. I thought she travelled incredibly well. That was the first time that Ashin had sat on her. Was he impressed? Yeah, he was delighted. Uh, she's a, got a great attitude, sort of hard-knocking filly. She's straightforward enough to train. Um, Ashin was delighted with the attitude. I'd say she didn't love the ground, but uh, she handled it anyway. Yeah, she certainly looked to get the seven furlongs well on that ground yesterday. Uh, are you likely to stick to that sort of trip for the rest of the season? I think seven furlongs is fine for now. Um, she'll probably be a filly that will want a mile in time. Uh, she has a lot of speed, um, I think purely uh, from sort of class. Um, but I think we'll stick for seven for now. And um, I suspect she'll get a mile in time. Um, Pedigree-wise would suggest that anyway. And physically, is she the sort of filly who you could see progressing next year as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think we will get some, obviously we've already had some sport this year, but I think we'll get a bit more as well. She's not a, she's not a massive filly and she's a real strong filly, so, so that's why it's not a real surprise that she's done what she's done already. Um, but hopefully she can continue to progress as well. Shawari Sire New Bay is one that your family has been very successful with in the past. Uh, of course, Saffron Beach ran in the same colours. It must be really nice to get a winner for your family in those colours and also another New Bay. Yeah, look, we love New Bay. We had a fantastic time with Saffron Beach, obviously. Uh, and yeah, look, uh, sure, we're, we're only a listed winner now, but we can dream anyway. And it's nice to, we obviously have Bally Lynch involved in the Philly as well so it's it's rewarding for me to have them in Philly too and nice nice for them to have support to supported me and to have stayed in the Philly they, they uh, she was a homebred of theirs so and Ollie just finally uh, Gloria's Goodwood is upon us next week and I see you've given per contra an entry in the vintage stakes he made a big impression on his debut at Chepstow he's since been bought by Wathenon Racing are we likely to see him there um I would say um, right now, I would say unlikely. Um, um, we took a provisional entry, um, but we will we'll monitor the race accordingly and see, see, see what it's looking like. But, uh, but I would be saying unlikely at the moment. Yep, it's sort of quick, quick enough from when he ran the other day and he's quite a big horse. So we'll just, we're not in a real rush with him. Um, and yeah, I would say unlikely right now, but sure, we'll have a look at how it's looking at next time. Well, Ollie, thanks so much for your time this morning and well done again yesterday. Fingers crossed for plenty more of those successes in the future. Thanks, Charlotte. Lydia Hislop is back with me. And Lydia, you were at Sandown yesterday and saw the race live. What did you make of her performance? I was really, really impressed with her. She's now went on on different types of ground. Um, so some, quite a bit of cut on the ground at Sandown yesterday on her debut. It was much quicker at Newbury. She travelled well at Newbury, um, and here she she just showed also an excellent attitude. Not only is she a quality filly, she Murphy, her rider, winning rider yesterday, commented on as well. She's she's just she's just on it. <laughs> she's she is she is professional, and and she wants to she wants to please, and you can see it from her 
head carriage that she is really responsive and I think she beat a couple of substantial rivals in Fallen Angel a good looking horse from Carl Burke and we know that Carl Burke is particularly strong with his two-year-olds this season and his two-year-old Phillies and Soprano who just looks as though a combination of stepping up to seven furlongs and that um, more testing ground just found her out her stamina seemed to crack a little potentially in that scenario in the final half furlong but those are three I think substantial fillies filling the places here in the star stakes and then there was a gap back to Grayson who ran doubtily I think it was a, a really strong performance and Ollie Sankster was talking about the rock fell and potentially even the fillies mile after that and it was so pleasing for Ollie Sankster who has uh, had such an excellent start to his training career. Only started out with a license um, uh, this year. Obviously, he has um, played a key part in a a number of operations, Wesley Ward being one of them as well. We got used to see him um, uh, being the outrider, taking horses to post on on occasion. Um, But also, he has got experience elsewhere. And now he's set up at Manton, which is such a great story with um, with the association with his grandfather, Robert Sangster. And it looks like he's made a, a really promising start. You and I were discussing earlier, before we started recording this podcast, that actually he had a very um, encouraging performance from a, a two-year-old debutante in Kings Valley who finished third behind Arabian Crown in the Maiden Stakes, the race that preceded the Star Stakes. Um, that horse taking on Arabian Crown, who'd, who'd shown a really good form against Starlaw on his debut over the course and distance, shaping as though he might do better for more of a test. Well, he was able to put his experience to good effect uh, yesterday and it looks as though his experience plus possibly his superior stamina at this stage enabled him to sort of crack Kings Valley inside the final furlong and Kings Valley uh, faded to third but Kings Valley certainly shaped as though he was at least the second best horse in the race. And uh, I know there's another horse that you wanted to mention that caught your eye obviously a staying fan which one was that? Ah yes that was uh, that was Rafe Beckett's horse I mean I cannot I cannot get away from the fact that I just love stayers. And now uh, Ray Beckett has got a couple of uh, horses that he's going to be heading towards the Melrose. One of them was Davideo, um, whose form um, has mostly been uh, held up after his win at the, the July course. The, the July meeting, albeit um, Hidden Sea, Hidden Story rather, rather let, let that down slightly yesterday when he was last of five, good off and blaming the, gra- the ground. He was last of five behind Rafe Beckett's Nothing to See, who we hadn't seen for quite some time. He'd previously run at Newbury and been given an enterprising, uh, aggressive ride on that occasion. Uh, we hadn't seen him for 69 days. Rafe was talking about the fact that uh, he'd been avoiding fast ground. Um, this is a, a son of, of See the Moon, who he thinks would definitely not be suited by that. Uh, and he beat yesterday Brave Knight from Smart Prescott's yard. Those two, the winner and the second, really, I think, emerged with credit. Brave Knight looked as though he might uh, improve for a step up to two miles. And I can see the Melrose, uh, nothing to see, being very effective in the, in the Melrose. Um, and he might well go, go straight there, uh, Rafe, again, thinking that if anything, he should err towards an autumn campaign with the perceived grand preferences. Then across the Irish Sea at Leopardstown last night in the Jockey Club of Turkey Silver Flash Stakes Group 3 for two-year-old fillies. Aidan O'Brien's Elang Elang uh, won at 4-1 to one on, but possibly didn't win like her price suggested. What did you make of her, Lydia? Yes, afterwards Aidan O'Brien was talking about Ryan Moore saying that she wasn't doing much in front. So a bit like on her debut, she kind of had to control the race, make her own running. Um, and next time they were talking that they would rather uh, ride her more patiently to 
educate her essentially give her more experience and they've said that also that they'll make sure there's more pace next time next time likely being the debutante group two over seven furlongs at the curra in mid-august so it sounds like she'll have some stable companions to set up the race for her this time around and that she will be they will seek to settle her in behind and ride her more patiently i think she was she was ridden um as a as a, a horse that would stay seven furlongs well she went from the front aiden o'brien also felt that the officially soft ground although it might not quite have been that far soft on times uh, wouldn't have helped her because she's quite a low mover she was pretty authoritative the things i really did like about her i mean she was yes she was unchallenged on the lead uh, uh the the winning margin was only a length and a half she beat five rivals four of them like her fellow winners and in fact it was the promising maiden uh vespertilio who got closest to her in second but what i did like about her is that when she was pushed along she was very professional. She showed a very good attitude. She didn't flinch at all from her line. And she galloped out without hesitation all the way there. Um, she's by Frankel out of Shambolic. John Gosden changed Shambolic. She didn't really greatly upgrade her form from two to three, but she did uh, place twice as a three-year-old over 10 furlongs at listed level. And also she looked as though she stayed a mile and a half. And if you move into the wider pedigree, uh, Shambolic herself is a half-sister to Viva Vitaka, who um, Hong Kong listeners will know very well as a six-time Group 1 winner who did stay a mile and a half and also travelled to Dubai and ran very well in the Shima Classic. And then there's La- Laughing, who, or Laughing, <laughs> depending on how you want to pronounce it, who is a US Grade 1 winner around the sort of 9 to 10 furlong mark. It's the kind of pedigree that says that she will stay a mile and a half in my book. Um, and so I can understand why she was of interest uh, for the Oaks. But clearly, I mean, we're, we're miles away from this. There'll be uh, many other horses that will to, to want, want to play their card for, for next year's 1,000 guineas and Oaks. And many of them are probably uh, in her stables at Aidan O'Brien's yard. Now, Lydia, Tom and Dave touched on the affordability checks yesterday and the newly launched public consultation by the government. Um, I'm reading into this that the thing that really struck me and struck most people in the industry is that if you lose £1,000 in 24 hours or £2,000 in 90 days, you could face enhanced affordability checks as often as every six months. How damaging could this be for the industry, Lydia? Uh, uh, a tremendous amount of damage, I think, and also a tremendous amount of damage to lots of uh, perfectly responsible people without a problem's individual enjoyment and ability to spend their own money as they wish to spend it. Um, I mean, I, I just endorse what um, Dave said at the end of uh, of his piece, which was to urge everybody who, who listens to this podcast and has an interest in this, likes the bet on British racing, to respond to this consultation. I mean, we really do need to get your views across i shall certainly be doing do it doing so but the loss periods that are being outlined are just arbitrary it as a number of commentators have made uh, in the racing post today steve mellish is is one of them um who, who is a, a pundit for, for racing tv but also a, a professional gambler those loss periods are completely arbitrary uh, it it it, dis, it displays a complete lack of understanding of how a, a, a somebody who bets on on a sport, in this case racing, um, is in it for the long run. It's it's not a, a, a quick fire turnaround thing. You take you have to take a, a long view, whether you're taking it seriously as Steve Mellish would be to to that degree, or even whether it is your preferred hobby. You will be taking a long view, not a short term view. And yet, and so it it is a nonsense to wrap up 
people who are taking that long view um, with people who might might be short term chasing and have a problem. You're you're catching the wrong people with that. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's quite embarrassing to be honest to, to suggest that this is a this is a, a sensible way of going forward. The idea of fictionless treks also is a is a complete myth. As I said before on this podcast, it reminds me of how we were told that there will be frictionless checks at the border for Brexit uh, uh, before beforehand. There and you know, oh, technology will will solve this. Well, do you know it, it, it hasn't worked out, and I don't think it will here. Um, if we think about um, the limits that are being set as well, that is that is per account as well. Well, lots of people have multiple accounts. We're nowhere near a single single customer view, or even better, a single customer wallet. If that's what you're you're wanting to 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 address, we're nowhere nowhere near that. So even those 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 losses are. Are, don't really work in the way that they think that they're going to work. It also tackles the problem superficially. I mean, it just cuts off somebody who is potentially at risk and says bye and then lets them go off into the ether. So I don't see how, how that works either. And finally, the, the point that I make over and over again, bookmakers are not trusted by their customers to arbitrate on, on affordability or to hold this depth of data on their customers. I mean, you know, if, if this is the way that we go, and I do hope that we don't, and that during the consultation process, some sense is seen, then there has to be greater transparency, greater consistency, and a right to appeal on behalf of the customers. The customers need to know that they are being treated fairly, and that only comes via transparency, consistency, and a right to appeal. And that, at this moment, I have heard nothing about any of those factors in about how these things will actually be carried out. Now, I know that... Um, the industry have talked about and the government have talked about that this consultation period is about how the white paper will be enacted, not whether the measures in the white paper would be enacted. But there are elements here that are here being proposed that do not make any sense and do not achieve what they purport to set out to achieve. Now time for our final segment from the National Stud in Newmarket, and here's Sam Cunningham. I'm here today at the National Stud to explore their educational opportunities. I'm joined by Abby Taylor, the Education Manager for the National Stud. What is your role at the National Stud? You've got residential courses, evening lectures available here, which are tailored to provide students with practical skill sets and the knowledge to achieve in their chosen career. How do you fit into that? So it's my job to develop and manage all of the courses here at the National Stud, whether it be a short course or a long-term, uh, longer-term residential course. I also oversee all of the students and the staff that aid the students' development and learning um, and also kind of seek out pathways for individuals into the industry if they've not been exposed to it previously. Do you find that a lot of the students have experience that are applying? They've got experience with equine management or handling beforehand? So because we offer level one through to level three programmes, we are lucky enough to be able to take individuals with no experience. So we have some people that might have seen racing on TV and really want to get involved but not sure how, and they come to us and develop the practicals the basic practical skills needed then to go on to another course or actually gain further work experience before entering the industry. We also have obviously people that come on to our level three program, the applicants for that must have um, thoroughbred ex handling experience. So we have individuals that come from studs already and they may have had 
um, or attended a college course which has a small consignment or they may have even uh, worked with ex-race horses or polo ponies. The new course is starting in September, the Level 3 Stud Management and Sales Consignment course. Could you explain to me briefly how this differs from your current diploma course? Yes, the new Level 3 um, Stud Management Sales Consignment course is replacing the older style diploma. The old style diploma started in January and completed in June. Um, the new one actually starts in September and completes in April. When we were trying to find employment for our graduates, we were finding that the industry was requiring students to have some form of yearling handling experience and sales experience because that's, you know, prep starts sometimes in July um, and the students wouldn't have that experience. We thought they were missing a skill set. So on reflection of uh, the industry requirements, what we did was we evaluated the course and moved it forward to September. So in the first 13 weeks, they are learning all about prep for the mare foal sales and the yearling sales and they also undertake two two-week placements with a consigner um, to get hands-on experience at the sales. They have a short Christmas break um, and then they come back to us in January where they um, continue as they always have done in previous years to learn about the breeding season so they'll spend time with stallions in the covering shed, they'll do all the assisting with a foaling dam uh, they'll assist with walk-ins, they'll go on walk-outs to other studs as well, so they'll really get an all-round experience. For benefiting the students, this sounds like such a fantastic course with great opportunities. Are there also funding opportunities available? Yes, certainly. So for our Level 3, um, we are very well supported by the Wavertree Education Trust and um, they award bursaries to support students who may require some financial support um, to cover the cost of the course. Um, the entry to stud employment programmes are fully funded, uh, which means actually it takes the financial strain off individuals that maybe are going through a big career change to enter the industry. So there is funding opportunities available for the courses. What are your intentions for the education division here? Really, we want to continue to be a leader in the provision of education um, to future employees of the thoroughbred breeding industry and also continue to provide CPD to current stud staff to promote industry retention. We're also very passionate about preventing barriers into the industry, so continuing to develop courses which allow access to the industry and access to um, thoroughbred breeding-based training for those that maybe never been exposed to the industry before. In terms of the courses, what is the application process for your courses here? It's very, very simple. Individuals can download an application form for any of our courses online off our National Stud website. And then if successful, they'll be asked back for an interview and a practical assessment during that time with us on that day. And hopefully within the following week, they'll be um, offered a place on the course. So very, very straightforward. It must be great having Lord Grimthorpe as chairman after him having been one of the first students on the diploma course. We are incredibly lucky to have his continued support and the students benefit greatly from his extensive knowledge. Um, Lord Grimthorpe's lecture on the role of the bloodstock agent as well as his practical sessions on confirmation really add to the learning experience for these students. Um, Lord Grimthorpe also sits on our panel for our Mayor project and his questions really challenge our students to justify their choices of their mayors during the project. His also continuing mentoring and career guidance to the students is invaluable. Some of those students wouldn't be where they are without his guidance.
Lydia, news has just come through that the Derby winner from 2021, Adair, has been retired. He did just lose his way a bit recently, didn't he? Yeah, it's not the greatest surprise, I'm afraid. It was really last chance saloon, last time out. At the July meeting, he ran in the Princess of Wales' stakes. He, he faced three rivals who were all, I think, at least £10, £10 or more. It might even have been £12 or more inferior to him. Um, and he was beaten by four and a half lengths by Isra, who, you know, is potentially a, a horse that is better than had shown so far. But nonetheless, this was a, a below par performance. And I, I asked, uh, I was waiting for racing TV that day, and I asked Charlie Appleby afterwards whether he really believed that Adiar had still got it. And he was, he referred to the um, the race where he beat Anmart, the um, restaged Gordon Gordon Richards um, at um, Newmarket, um, and uh, pointed to the defeat of Anmart as proof that Adiar still had it. Well, that didn't. Uh, it doesn't really compare with, as you mentioned, his Derby defeat four and a half lengths ahead of Mojo Star, his defeat of Mishrif in twenty twenty one in the King George, um, even his second behind Bay Bridge in the twenty twenty two Champion Stakes on just his second start that season, quite a truncated season. You know that it wasn't that kind of level of performance. It didn't point to that kind of level of performance. And since then, he's beaten by Mostadaf in a very good performance in the Prince, Prince of Wales Estate. And as I say, at the July meeting last time, over a trip that was um, argued to be, uh, not necessarily by Godolphin, but by others, um, his best trip, he was disappointing. So they've clearly decided that he hasn't still got it um, and that the best thing to do is to retire him. But he was at his peak, at his pomp, a very good winner mm. of the Derby, who went on to win a King George and beat substantial rivals in Mishrif and Love, with you know Broom well beaten on that occasion, and you know he ran a, a very good race for a long way in the Arc in 2021. Uh, it was probably a quick turnaround behind Sealaway in the Champion Stakes that year, but again a substantial performance when second in the in, in Champion Stakes the following year. So I mean we he, we should remember him at his best and it's i don't i don't feel it's in, it's entirely fair to horses that if they happen to finish on on a low that we are we, we 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 too easily forget what they were at their peak i mean he's a very good looking very imposing horse and at his best he was a force to be reckoned with over 10 fellows but particularly a mile and a half and he's by Frankel's, so I'm sure an exciting stud career awaits for him, although no announcement has been made yet as to where that might be. Um, Lydia, before you go, do you have a tip for us today? Yes, I've got a tip at Ascot in the second race. We're going up to two miles, of course we are, with the first time visors pledge of allegiance for Sir Mark Prescott and Thor Hammer Hansen. Um, I, the ground is a question mark, but I mean, I, I felt that his damn bow and the whole sort of motivator side of, of the family were very effective in, the, in this kind of ground. Certainly, Vow was perfectly effective in it, although she handled faster as well. So I'm not too worried about the ground, nor the way that he moves. I think that um, he the, the switch to of headgear, I think, will help him. The step up in trip, I think, will help him. Uh, he's also up against horses that are a bit more exposed than him. It's the sneaky three-year-old against older horses angle over two miles. So it's Pledge of Allegiance in the 2.25 at Ascot on Friday. Well, thanks to Lydia and thanks to all my guests this morning. I'll be back with the Saturday edition at 9pm this evening to preview tomorrow's King George. That was episode 796. Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.